It's time to pull those belts tight, race fans. The Front Stretch is coming at you. Presented by Joe's Karting and Council Bluffs. Now, here's Dan Taylor and Dirk Houston. Welcome to the Front Stretch Race Fans, presented by Joe's Carding and Council Bluffs, online at joescarding.com. Fast-paced white-knuckle racing just across the river on 23rd Avenue. Get over to Joe's Carding today. Do yourself right with some indoor kart racing. Joe's Carding on online, www.joescarding.com. But I don't even know why I said that, because everybody just Googles anymore. Does anybody, you ever type www in the web browser anymore? Once in a blue moon, just because I feel like it. <laughs> For nostalgia? <laughs> I remember when you had to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> About the time the dinosaurs died. Yeah, it was just shortly after after your buddies <laughs> all left. Uh, we got a good show lined up for you today. Uh, Going to do a lot of recapping of the Imperial Tile Silver Dollar Nationals and the Owl Belt Custom Homes I-80 Nationals. It's mostly just going to be kind of an overview thought. Um, if you want to see any of the interview recaps, Anthony and I were uh, running around the track all week long getting interviews. He uh, covered a lot of the Lucas Oil guys because I figured that was right up his alley. And I like covering more of the local guys. So I took we kind of uh, split up and, and did our due diligence and got interviews. So uh, all of those are posted on the Front Stretch Facebook page. Let's talk. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think we should probably kick off the show and, and talk about uh, the. Uh, Joe Kaziski interview. We we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. Dirk, have you had a chance to watch that video yet? No, I didn't watch the video, but I sat down and had a chat with Joe Thursday night. Mm-hmm. So everybody, it's, I'm, it's, this I'm entire sure it's week, the video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been telling everybody the exact same thing, but it's so funny because I get stopped. I got stopped probably ten or fifteen times going up and down the stairs or or just walking around the speedway. So so I, I I've heard the speedway sold. I'm like, well, I. I'm not involved in those conversations, but the last time I was told the speedway is not sold and Joe uh, was gracious enough after last night's races to do a, a quick, uh, I think a three or four minute video with me, um, which by the way, I was right. That was the 11th annual Imperial tile silver dollar nationals. It was not, I think he said it was the 13th or 14th, but I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, you know what? He was probably thinking I got a lot on my mind. I just miscounted, but anyways, um, he was gracious enough to sit down and t- chat with me for a little bit in a video and, and just basically recap exactly what he's been saying, what he told us on the show a couple of weeks ago. There is no contract. There is a negotiations ongoing for the land to be sold. And one of the clause of the contract negotiations is that the track must run in 2022. He did reiterate or he did actually cover that that does not mean that the track will run until the silver dollar nationals of 2022 and then close up. He said he will run it into October. The Cornhusker classic will be the closing race of the 2022 season, but that's all depending on if the track is sold. And right now it's not. Well, that's exactly what he reiterated to me. I was out there and I'd got a couple phone calls on Thursday afternoon from car people that uh, they'd heard out at the Mannheim auto auction on Thursday morning that the track had been sold to, Copart for $4.7 million and was going to close immediately. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to the race tonight, so I hope it's not closing immediately. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, so, yeah, I, I saw Joe and, you know, sat down and we just chatted for about five minutes. It was mm-hmm. simple. And he basically said the same thing he said when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. He's, he, it's kind of funny. It's like he's sticking to the same story, like almost like it's the truth. And, and I yeah. get a real, a real kick out of people because, you know, I didn't know exactly where to land on 
how he would handle when the track was sold. My gut says you make the announcement at the biggest stage you can when there's uh, thousands of people in the grandstands, when there's national television, uh, MAV TV was on hand covering all the races. My gut says that's when they would announce it. But when he came on our show and said, no, as soon as we sell the track, I'm going to announce it because I want everybody to know that there is a limited amount of time left to come race at I-80 Speedway and to come watch at I-80 Speedway. And he's got a great point. The second he announces that that track is sold and that there is a solid end date to when races will happen at I-80 Speedway, ticket sales are going to go up. Backgate is going to go up. The fan page is going to explode. I mean, it's it's going to be they're going to make more money in the final. It's like a farewell tour for a, for a band. Absolutely. Everybody is going to want to go be at I-80 Speedway for the last hurrah. That Cornhusker, if that Cornhusker Classic in 2022 is the final race at I-80 Speedway, I, I don't think it's crazy to think there'll be 350 cars there. I mean, that is going to be a nightmare of, of, a, of, a, of a race, but the fans are going to get their money's worth because it's going to be a packed grandstand. Everybody, it's, well, Tell me, because I don't know. I wasn't there. What was the last weeks leading up to Sunset Speedway like? And then the final night? Well, you can't compare that because Sunset Speedway was right next door to Omaha. It wasn't in the city, but Sunset Speedway was packed every night. That There was no bad night at Sunset Speedway. You went mm-hmm. early to get a seat in the stands. That's just the way it was. Yeah. So, and the last night was, you know, full capacity as always. Now, the party lasted a lot longer than normal. There was a big bonfire outside and stuff like that. Burning evidence? (laughs) Could be. Um, I remember Joe Kaziski autographed Craig Kelly's butt. Oh, my God. (laughs) With a Sharpie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I love Joe Kaziski. There was a lot going on that last night. For as, as much as Joe, you know, tries to, he does have a, a, a relatively clean image. He, and he, he's very careful about that. Every once in a while, there's these stories of him, him just kind of letting loose and having a good time. I love hearing those stories about Joe. Now, there was another one out at Mid-Continent at the Nationals where him and Kevin Gundaker were really giving the manager of the Holiday Inn a hard time. If you remember, I mentioned that to Kevin when we interviewed him a couple of years ago, and he just, oh, yeah, I can tell you all about it. Yeah. No, 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 that's good. Yeah. It's a family show. So, yeah, if you want to watch that video, I think Joe's very upfront and honest. Um, the state of the Speedway is they are negotiating with a buyer that they have been in negotiations with since February. Uh, they've gone back and forth on different details. And the last one that Joe sent is that the racetrack must race the 2022 season. And he said it flat out in that video. If, um, if they don't, they don't want that clause. If they say, no, we're going to close. This is the last year. Then Joe says, I'm not signing. I am running that racetrack through 2022. I will wait. And I I think there's a finite finite amount of time that he's going to wait. Cause like you noticed, like everyone's noticed, I've noticed he's tired. He's ready to not have to worry about the headache of running a racetrack. Yeah, yeah. well, he's, he's got a lot of irons in the fire, so he's got a lot of headaches. And it's not just running the racetrack. It's also running Kaziski Auto Parts. It's running the Malvern Bank East and West Series. Uh, well, the Malvern Bank West and the Hoker Trucking East. It's uh, running his rental properties. It's trying to be a grandpa. He's, he's at baseball games almost as much as Lisa is with, their, with his two grandkids. Well, he's yeah, got more I than guess. two grandkids, but uh, Lisa's two boys are, are very heavily into baseball. Yeah, it's like I said, he's he's got a full plate. 
you know, and the fact that this, you know, if the racetrack was 30 miles closer, you know, instead of 45 to 50 minutes away till every time he's got to go out there, you know, it's, it's a minimum two hour deal. Even if he's just got to go out there and get a piece of paper off a desk. Yeah. You know, I disagree with that a little bit. It, it's, I mean, literally it's from mid Omaha. It's a 20 minute drive. So for him, how fast are you, you know, driving? And, and I'm taking mid Omaha as when I, basically when I cross the bridge, I'm interstate travel. So it's pretty smooth going except for the construction in 84th right now. But yeah, it might be 30 minutes for him to leave Kaziski Auto Parts, leave the yard there, and then get out to the racetrack. Um, but uh, I, it, yeah, it's so the track's not sold. Long story short, it's not sold. It's I, I think it's coming. I think it's going to happen in the next month or two. But it's not done yet. And um, when it does get done, it'll be a big deal, and uh, and we'll be there to cover it too. Uh, what did you? Uh, you said you were there on Thursday night, so you got to watch the stock cars, right? Yes. I think that stock car, the stock cars, heat races and features were the best racing of the week, the entire the stock, week. The stock cars and, and pro-ams have been the best racing for 20 years. Yeah. Hands down. I, now, you that, get a good late model race every now and then. You get a great modified race every now and then. But week in and week out, yeah, the pro-am stock car class is the best race. I mean, it was, I, I, I knew it was, I, I'm obviously very biased when it comes to the, the local guys in, in racing and um and, and, and giving them their due diligence especially on a national television in a worldwide television as james Rowling keeps reminding me he goes man that stuff is worldwide could, could say a national television because it's worldwide but uh but when james essex put down his phone of doing his paperwork and getting stuff and started watching the race i was like all right now these guys are putting on a new level of a show because that guy that guy gets to watch some of the best late model racers on a weekly basis and he's putting his stuff down to watch some local guys uh go at it now i don't know what coverage you were talking about but boy there were a lot of disappointed people with mav tv you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna take two different stances on this okay one you should have been at the fucking racetrack (laughs) i'm so (laughs) pissed at people because we've talked about this. I have zero problem with the people at Lucas Oil TV or Map TV or whatever it's called now. It's been like three different incarnations of whatever. I got no problem with the everyday people. James Essex is one of the nicest guys. There's always TV people that are coming in and out of the booth, working with me, making sure the audio sounds good, planning out the night. They're great people to work with. Whoever makes the decision to screw the racetrack and not give them a fair portion of the uh people that are watching the stream that's complete bs and that is killing the local track uh, i can tell you and i think i'm probably authorized to tell you dirt on dirt the original contract dirt on dirt had the broadcast for the silver dollar nationals for uh, for many years and i want to say their profit sharing was like 30 or 40 percent of the subscriptions sold specifically for that race and that made it worth the while for joe because he he would say, okay, somebody from way out in, in Indiana can't make it. That's perfectly fine. Lucas Oil gives them like 5% of the, the races of the sold. And that's just nothing. I mean, it's to the point where Joe's like, my sponsors aren't getting read on, on, on their, their broadcast. And it's just, that frustrates me to hell, to all end. If you're a big company like Mav TV, profit share with these tracks and help them out. I mean, how much have we talked about the profit sharing is saved uh, NASCAR tracks with the TV uh, contracts that NASCAR doesn't keep all that money and say, sorry, guys, 
it's there's a big profit sharing deal with the tracks and the teams the biggest part of the profit sharing is with the teams and it should be yeah absolutely i completely agree okay my second point with this is oh crap i might have forgot my second point i think i did forget my second point what was going to be my second point <laughs> well no you basically made two points one be at the races and two that mav tv needs to share some money yeah and, and again i i want to make sure and iterate everybody that was at the racetrack uh, from tuesday to saturday were great people to work with never had an issue with them they they were professional and polite i it just whoever is making that decision to hoard all the money needs to needs to uh re reevaluate things um, but all those people that kept messaging on tuesday when the app was having issues on wednesday when the app was having issues on thursday and on friday i just kind of wanted to sit my back of my head and say you could have bought a ticket and been here and experienced everything I think that's another thing that Joe and Lisa and Steve and, and Amy and Mona and Shelly and everybody that is involved in every little facet of the racetrack, they're doing a great job of building up more things to do. Friday, what was it? Thursday night at like 9.30, we decided to do a beer pong tournament on Friday just to give people something to do. And I think it was a success for not even being a thing for 24 hours before we did it. And, and we got some great teams out there, had a lot of fun. And, and then they've got the drinks that they were doing, you know, the turbo juice, the um, Superman splash, the tricky Ricky, all these different drinks that you can hear about them on MAV TV, but you certainly can't get down there and experience them and try them. Did you try any of them? No, I, uh, I was a good boy. I was down there with uh, somebody <laughs> that had a couple of adult beverages and I was, so I drove home. Mm. So okay. I was, I was my normal 33 year self. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> You should be, there's going to be one night I'll be the DD for us. You need to, I will actually be the DD. I won't, I won't drink much. <laughs> so well, I was going to say, you've been the DD after you've had a few. I've seen you in action. Uh, yeah, that's true. But anyways, uh, those drinks are a lot of fun. The beer specials are great. The food, oh my God, the steak sandwich that they had is, I mean, they're, they're doing just a great job of building the atmosphere there that I think they're starting to position themselves to be a little bit more TV proof to where if, if somebody is saying, uh, I'm just going to buy the five days on Lucas Oil TV and sit at home and watch it, you're missing out on 50 or 60%, maybe even 70% of the fun of the Silver Dollar Nationals. Well, I had a particular friend of mine start complaining about the Mad TV stuff. I said, dude, go down there. Yeah support the track honestly those fans that sat at, at at home in the omaha area within an hour of the racetrack and watched it on mav tv i hope you had a legitimate excuse like health issues uh physical issues uh couldn't find a bit whatever but if if you just decided i don't want to go out to the racetrack once again you hurt the racetrack that was putting up a massive purse because they need every ticket sale to make that work and um, and you, you missed out on the experience just sitting at home on your couch. That's that's not fun. I mean, it's it's one thing I think NASCAR does a really, really good job about, too, is when you go to the races, you don't show up a half hour, 45 minutes for the green flag. You show up four hours or five hours before. If you're able, you tailgate. If not, you go through all that merchandise row and all those vendors and all that experience. Maybe you walk down pit road. Maybe you get the extra passes and go into the uh, into the garages and, and, and you experience it. And it's it's so worth it. It's, it's just an amazing experience to go do those things. And, and I feel bad for people to just sit at home and watch it on TV and then complain. Yeah. Well, you also got to throw in for the fact that 
I assume when you get the Mav package, you get like all five nights for 50 bucks or something like that. I don't know. So in order to get the Silver Dollar Nationals, you had to have an annual pack, annual uh, subscription of 100 bucks. Oh, OK. Uh, I did not know that. But I I know I don't know exactly how it worked. If, if you had to you had to have the hundred dollar membership and then you had to pay a small fee to get the races because some tracks do some services do that with some of the bigger races. So I don't know the answer to that. If, if they had to, if you already had a membership, if you had to pay something on top of it, but uh, I guess I could have looked into it, but I didn't really care to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know either. So I, I, I just assumed it was a deal, you know, like uh, I can't even think who the heck was the company that had Bristol. They, that was it. Huh? Was it flow? I think it was. Yeah. I think it was flow. Yes. And it was just a, a flat, I don't know. I think it was $59 for the week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously Bristol from here is quite a ways away, but you know, if you were local and, you know, Nashville or Charlotte or something like that, still, if you were going to go buy tickets to five nights of racing, it would have cost a lot more yeah. than the 60 bucks. That That's the point I was getting at. But if you had to pay a hundred dollar fee and then 50 bucks on top of it, pretty much a wash, except you get the whole year's worth of Mav TV. Right. You know? And from what I understand, this wasn't a, uh, a one-off deal they've been having all kinds of problems from what i saw people posting because i don't have mav tv mm-hmm. but i saw people posting issues for like six weeks so yeah, yeah it is i know that i was sitting up there in the booth and, and james was kind of he's like man i tell you these people they just they get so mad at us and we're having technical issues we're, we're working on it we're trying to get it fixed uh they were completely overwhelmed from day one from tuesday they were completely overwhelmed with the amount of people that were trying to jump on and watch those races uh, I think that they they just they made a simple mistake of when Mav TV took over Lucas Oil TV, they didn't add enough servers to be able to handle the traffic, and so they're going to go through some growing pains of of as the streaming becomes more and more popular, they got to get ahead of it rather than constantly reacting to it. They have to be proactive and and buy way more servers than they need so that they can handle those influxes of unexpected traffic and. You know, that was but, just a conversation we were having in the pits, but or in the in the in the uh, announcer's booth. But I do feel bad for those guys at Lucas Oil TV. They're all working hard and and they just people just get nasty when they're behind a keyboard. It's just unnecessary. Okay. And keyboard and commandos. Absolutely. When, when, when I said that James put his phone down and, and was watching the stock car race, he was replying to people's tweets, Facebook messages, and emails trying to help explain what was going on. And you know, he was showing me some of the messages and just, just, why would you even, I get, why would you talk like that? I, I mean, some of the things people just said, is just, I don't know. I guess my mom taught me just be polite. Hey, well, um, it, my issue, I'm having an issue with Mav TV. Could you guys look into it for me? Well, I'm guaranteed you if they were standing there in front of James, they wouldn't have said that. Exactly. And that was kind of, I think that's kind of my point of saying that is just, it's, it's unnecessary. It's, it's too easy to be just blatantly rude behind a keyboard and it's, it's not necessary. You know, that's why I call them keyboard commandos. But I want to say on the positive side of this whole deal, I'm sitting down there Thursday night for, I don't know, we got down there early and, you know, did a little tailgating and whatnot and grabbed something to eat and grabbed a seat and watched a lot of racing. And I know a few people at the racetrack. So I said hi to a lot of people because I haven't been out there much the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. I did not hear one complaint by anybody that was at the racetrack. Yeah, not it one. was. It went so smooth and um, just that was a, that it was a true honor to be a part of that, 
I guess is really what I can say. And I don't want anybody to ever think that I, I contribute more than I actually do this 99% of what happened over the five days was, was all Lisa, Joe and Steve and uh, a couple of people behind the scenes, Lee Ackerman still helping out Shelby in the office, uh, a bunch of people behind the scenes, actually. Uh, I just got to fly in on Tuesday and just kind of help out and, and, and do some stuff. And, you know, and it's just, it's such a fun part, fun thing to be a part of. Yeah. Like I said, it was a great (laughs) show Thursday night. Um, I was kind of pulling for Hudson O'Neill. I called him and left him voicemail when they were doing the four abreast. (laughs) Just because I can. What if he would have (laughs) answered? Yeah. I would have called him Brad Keselowski if he would have answered having his cell phone in the race car. He's but, got his, uh, his cell, his Bluetooth connected to his receiver. <laughs> but he's always real polite. Uh, anytime I call him or text him, you know, he'll always take a minute and, and chat with me. And, yeah. and uh, I like the young man. So I was kind of pulling for him. I just wish there would have been a yellow somewhere in that 53 laps Thursday night and giving yeah. him a chance for the win. Yeah. It got stretched out. It was about a four second lead halfway through the race. And they got into traffic and Turbo had hit the traffic first and Hudson had uh, cut it down to about three seconds. And then he'd hit the traffic and it was back out to four seconds. So it never really changed the second half of the race. There was a lot of racing in the middle of the pack, but uh, Turbo did a great job in traffic, drove a heck of a race, you know, and one from the pole, which happened to happen Saturday night too. So, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if anybody had anything for Brandon Overton. Cause I mean, the guy's been on fire for the last two months and, and he had his car working right, but boy, he sure didn't show up on Saturday night for the feature. It, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say that he still had a good run and, and a respectable run and probably a run a lot better than I would have had, but I put him in the same category right now as, is you know, like Kyle Larson, when, when Larson finishes sixth, people are going, okay, what happened? what's going on well every interview we've done the last couple of years over at knoxville jimmy owens uh, mike marler all of them talk about the clean air mm-hmm. you know you yeah, don't think it, about aerodynamics on these uh lucas oil cars but these lucas oil cars are are running 115 118 mile an hour down the straightaway at i-80 you know yeah, I've, a, I've radared them before i know they are a big track oh. like that it, it arrow comes into play and it comes into play for the malvern bank series too and the super late models when they race absolutely they talked about it on uh, the local guys talked about it when, you know, Tad Pospisil and Bill Layton won heat races on Tuesday, I believe. And they both talked about it. They said, as soon as I got my nose out there, I, I, I knew I was in good shape and, and I was, I was going to have a good chance of winning that race. Um, so uh, yeah, but talking about Tuesday, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Bragg and Wright late models. Um, once again, thoroughly impressed with Cole Wayman and, the, and his uh, ability to, to wheel that car and, and, you know, against drivers that have so much more experience than him and, and know exactly how to work a corner and how to, how to pinch a guy down or, or kind of run him up the racetrack a little bit, play these tricks that, that drivers um, will, will play. And, you know, you, you watch Kyle uh, Burke is somebody that I first learned it on. I'm obviously not saying he's the first one to ever do it, but he was the first one that it really became apparent to me when he's he was pulling tricks on, uh, on Tad Pospisil when Tad was first cutting his teeth in the late models and, and challenging for championships. And, and now you're watching Tad do that. And I was watching a couple of drivers do that to Cole. And within the same race, he started doing it to them. And I'm, I'm just, I was thoroughly impressed with the way he's able to pick that up so quick and, and put on a heck of a show too. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there Tuesday, so 
you know, I, I can't really comment on it. I was following the posts coming through on Facebook. Uh, so I saw who was winning and who was doing what. Yeah. Uh, and, sobbing uh, ended up getting the win, but was uh, Jesse sobbing in the number 18 car was disqualified after the race. Uh, maybe you can help me out with this. I've had a bunch of people ask me this. I've had it explained to me a couple of different times, but you know, it's all Egyptian to me. So trying to repeat it is wrong, but my understanding is left front. You can have a bump stop or you can have a spring stop and they had both. And that is a, uh, a violation for the rules for IMCA, which is basically what, Nat, what I-80 Speedway falls follows. So he ended up getting disqualified. Well, all I saw online was illegal shock. I didn't know what fell in to the illegal shock. I know Ben Schaller had jumped into the, the thread I was reading and said it's totally legal in any other class but that one. Yeah. And, and uh, so... You know, I had no idea if it was a, a high dollar shock because I know the bragging right late models are supposed to be a more of a budget class, etc. But if it was just a, uh, you know, the type of bump stop that was used, I mean, that could have been fixed in the matter of a few minutes. That's not like they had to do a major overhaul of the car. Yeah, you I know? don't think it was much of a performance issue. Do you? Well, it wouldn't have been on there if it was. That's that's what I think every time I ever disqualified anybody from cheating, yeah. they wouldn't have been doing it if it wasn't an advantage. Did it win in the race? I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know. Did he win it by 50 car lengths? Then it probably <laughs> didn't win in the race. If he won it well, by two foot, it might have won in the race. He won it in typical Jesse Sobbing fashion. It, it was it was a pretty big gap between him and second place, which was Jake Bridge. Um, but I also look at the way he raced on Tuesday after they got the car fixed and kind of leans more towards it might have been a performance enhancer because he didn't perform as well on Tuesday night. Or on, sorry, on Wednesday night when they came back. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you, you don't cheat because it's, you know, it doesn't do nothing. <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. If you're cheating, and again, they might not have read the rules. Either way, it's cheating. But was it purposely? Was it purposely done? I don't know. You know, obviously, I don't recall Jesse getting DQ'd a whole lot of times in the last ten to fifteen years that you know he's been on top of the game. Yeah, I don't. Well, if I'm you a know, competitor, I, I, I'm saying they don't they don't tech him right. They just let him go well, through. Believe me, the tech's done the same on all the cars that they're teching. Yeah, I did it long enough. I know they still do that. So I, you know, I'm not going to label Jesse as a cheater. Ain't going to happen. Yeah, and I, I, I hate that term because there's there's a huge difference between being illegal and being a cheater. There are drivers out there that are straight-up cheaters. They know they're putting that on their car. They know it's illegal, and, and they know it's a performance advantage. That is a cheater. I think in this case, again, I take everybody for their, for their word, for, their fa for what they tell me. I'll, I'll listen to it. I'll take it with a grain of salt and then and go from there. But they all told me that, yeah, they knew it was on there. They didn't realize it was illegal. Okay, that that's what I'm that. saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I don't and categorize that as a cheat, but, you know, that's well, that's two different fields of, of opinions, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, see, to me, if it's illegal, you're cheating. Yeah. To me, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't differentiate. And I don't know how much Jesse looked over the car. I know it's not his car. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. You know, if he tells me he didn't know it was on there, I would totally believe him. Now, if he says he did know it was on there and he didn't know the rules, I believe that too. So the statement from uh, Jesse Sobbing Racing on Wednesday morning was, 
After going through tech last night, the number 18 crate late model was DQ'd for an illegal shock. Although Jesse has no role in the setup of this particular race car, he takes responsibility for the situation as the driver. Jesse is very disappointed by the situation and would like to reassure his fans and sponsors that this is not something that aligns with his values as a race car driver and owner. He prides himself on racing legally, always. That being said, Team Crazy would like to extend a congratulations to the 83 team of Jake Bridge, who was the winner of last night's race. And a big payday for those guys, $2,500 went to uh, Jake Bridge for that win on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, and if the... uh... If the owner of the 18 car knew that the part was on there and admittedly is saying that just didn't know it was illegal, well, a $2,500 less. Right. And that's always the tough ones. You know, you always feel bad for those guys because I don't know. I mean, I like the fact that Jake Bridge got that win because that's a $2,500 that goes a long ways towards for that team. I think the 18 team is a is a more well-funded team than uh, the 83 team is, so it went farther. It, it's the same thing that I always hate it when Hendrick or Joe Gibbs wins the all-star race. I would love to see Wood Brothers win it or uh, Front Row Racing or hell, even Starcom. Those guys could use a million bucks. Like <laughs> they, could, they could use a big million dollar uh, uh, prize money infusion versus Hendrick Motorsports using it, but that's just me uh, rooting for the little guy more. Well, and you also don't know what the contract is with the driver since that's not a points paying race. Yeah. That driver might get to keep all that money. I that's don't know. Yeah. 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 So it wouldn't do anything technically for Starcom, but, uh, you know, it actually it would. It would still help uh, with sponsors and everything else. But, um, you know, money wise, influx wise, you know, and it might be just another standard race where the driver's going to get 20 or 30%, and that's that. Yeah. Uh, so 34 Braggenright late models were on hand on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, Travis Dickus ended up whooping the field and getting the win on Wednesday. Uh, Jesse Sabe came back and finished in second. Cole Wayman, again, a nice top three finish uh, again on Wednesday. So Travis Dickus took home the $2,500. It was originally, excuse me, was that $3,500? Uh, I think Tuesday was originally supposed to be 2000 to win. And then Wednesday was supposed to be 3000 to win, but Dirt Track Bank came in and threw down another $500 for each supporting class feature winner. So they ended up taking 2500 and $3,500. Thanks, and then, Jay Birdie. Yeah, Jay, man, Jay showed up uh, this entire week throwing uh, $500 extra for a second ticket to be drawn for the 5050. 50 um, And then $500 for each feature winner in the supporting class. Not only the sponsorships that he gives drivers and the racetrack and the series. I mean, Jay definitely showed up and, and supported the uh, Albell Custom Homes, IED Nationals, and the Imperial Tile Silver Dollar Nationals. So um, if you, I've got my, I finally got my card in, in, in the mail and I started using it a couple of weeks ago, but open a dirt track bank checking account or savings account, debit card, whatever. I do all my mobile banking. I don't go over to Malvern. I don't need to. I deposit checks through my app on my phone. I use my card for gas only. I do direct deposit from uh, from uh, the Squarespace account. So all of it funnels through that account. And I leave a certain amount of money in there so that um, that money at the end of the year, a portion of it will go towards the series and team or driver. That was a driver series or track of my choosing. So it, it there, he's actually giving money right back to it when you open up an account and put money into an account. And just let it sit there. That's all he needs. Man, I got off on it. I got off on it. Extra money. 
I got to find another tirade. Uh, let's see. Thursday night, the Don Moore tribute race. What an awesome night. 40 stock cars checked in for racing that night. And the heat races were phenomenal. The B feature was phenomenal. It's just, I mean, that literally that was uh, the race to watch any one of those, uh, what they had 11 total races, I think. Uh, um, seven races, sorry. They had four, uh, four, four heats. heats in the feature. Yep. Yep. Uh, so it was, uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. And it, I love Jordan Grabowski. I like watching the guy race just because he's such a good driver and such a winning driver. I do like watching him finish second. Uh, I was like seeing another guy win and his uh, I didn't, I never heard of this guy before chance Hollitz out of uh, out of clear Lake, Iowa. It was only his second time racing at IAD speedway and he's good friends with, with Jordan. And when Jordan took the lead, it's just like when, you know, when, uh, when Jordan takes the lead, when, Oh gosh. Um, Jesse sobbing blew up. I don't know if he blew up, but he definitely had mechanical issues. Um, I just don't know for sure. I think that's what happened to him, but um, I get my, what I was trying to get to there is there's, there's a handful of drivers out there when they take the lead, you're like, okay, now it's a race for second. You know, when Kyle Burke takes used to take the lead, when Tad Pospisil now takes the lead, um, when Jacob Brown takes the lead in the Bragg and Wright late models, it's like, okay, now we're now I'm going to start calling the race for a second because Jacob Brown because the leader's gone, but Chance kept Jordan right there in his sights and kept working the low side and got by him with about three or four to go and ended up taking home the big check twenty nine hundred and twenty four dollars. Uh, that was his biggest winning race and uh, he gets technical support and and helps out a lot with Jordan Grabowski and he was very uh, complimentary of him and if you happen to watch Jordan's interview <laughs> on. Friday morning? Yeah, that was Friday morning <laughs> that I published it. Uh, Jordan, not very happy with Jesse sobbing and the way Jesse was racing and uh, basically calls out Jesse in, um, in the interview and, and just says, karma got him. When you rub everybody and, and bang on everybody, karma got you. Yeah. Well, he did. He slammed uh, Jordan real good one time down in turn two. Yeah. Fairly early in the race. And, uh, I mean, there was nothing clean about that. I, you know, I, I like Jesse. I've got nothing against Jesse. He's a bit of a difficult guy to interview because he just doesn't like the camera and the limelight. And, and he does, he, he just doesn't, he's not comfortable with it. And I get it. I only interview him when I have to, just to make it easier on him. But man, the, the, the way he raced the five days, cause he was out there all five days. I just think for as good of a driver as he is, sometimes it's not necessary for him to drive as rough as he does. He was uh, an example is, um, B feature Saturday night for the modifieds. He was racing fourth top three were moving in. There was eight laps left to go and a 10 lap feet, 10 lap B feature. Brian Ossentowski had the spot in front of him. He had the transfer. Jesse was faster. That was easy to tell. But as soon as they go into turn one, Jesse just goes to the low side side and slides right up the racetrack and slams into the side of Ossentowski and neither cars were damaged. He basically just tired him, not doored him. They just slammed tires, but pushed Ossentowski up the racetrack and Jesse drove off uh, and it ended up finishing third. And I just thought that's not necessary. It's it. I get it. If it's the last lap, I, 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 I like it if it's the last lap and you got to get a little rough to get that spot. Okay. That's fine. Rubin's racing, but eight laps to go in a 10 lap feature and you've got a faster car. You can be patient and get around him. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, that's coming um, from a guy who's never raced and has only called races. 
<laughs> um, the only surprise I saw in the stock cars on Thursday night, and I think it's kind of a big surprise, is that uh, that guy by the name of Nichols forgot to show up. I didn't even think of that. Mike Nichols wasn't there at all. That's what I mean. He wasn't there. He forgot to show up. That was just that. To me, I was very surprised at that. That was to me the biggest surprise of the night. Yeah, that is very. I, I literally you mentioning that is the first time I thought about it. I don't think he's raced at I80 Speedway at all this year, though. Well, I don't think he'd planned on it, you know. Except maybe the, you know, he'll probably show up for the Cornhusker. But uh, uh, I just thought for a big money race on a Thursday night, I, I thought he would show up. Yeah, hmm. you know, interesting. And, and he definitely would have been a threat for the cash. So. Great job to Chance Holtz on picking up that win in, in Big Cash Money. Uh, a great interview with him. He seems like a really nice guy. After I was editing that interview, I'm looking at it and going, okay, I think it's time I ordered a light for the camera. So that should be arriving tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so now we don't have to worry about it. Just, like it, it looked like a creepy interview. <laughs> it was just very awkward because there was just no lighting. There, there were so many cars. The supporting class was parking in the back 40. What I call the back yeah. 40, the back pits. But even farther than that away, uh, did you go into the pits or did you just go into the grandstands? I just went in the grandstands. Okay. Um, I sat up on Craig Kelly's deck with uh, okay. a few of those guys, some of the old Sunset gang and stuff like that that I haven't seen in a while. Rob Walker was with us and I had Carlot Dan along with us. And uh, yeah, we had a good time up there. So if you remember your last time you drove into the pits at I-80, you're going down that row past the pit share or past the, uh, the, the gate. Just what I assume you going just north west a little north. bit, yeah. Uh, and then you make that big turn, and then you're basically going straight to go into the racetrack. But they reworked that back area to where you would continue to go straight, and then there was parking back there for another probably 20 haulers. And that's where Grabowski and Chance and Hobshite and some of the guys were, were located. So there's no light back there other than the trailers and chance was all locked up and, and ready to go home by the time I got back there. So anyways, lights on the order. So that way we'll get some better footage, but well, we've been, we've been back there before. We just weren't filming anything. I, I know we did. Uh, oh, modified guy from Texas. Happy Texas. Rodney Sanders. There we go. Sanders. Yeah. We've done him back there before. And we did two guys back there. I remember one year. Yeah. So, yeah. I've been back there before. So. I'm glad you brought up Rodney Sanders because it brings up a point I wanted to talk about. Modifieds were on the bill for Friday and Saturday. Great field of modifieds on Friday. 47 modifieds. They actually had more modifieds than they had late models there uh, any five days. Uh, so great job for the modifieds to show up to that race. There was a lot of really, really talented drivers, and that was fun to watch. Um, it was a non-sanctioned modified race, which meant it was not a USMTS race. And after the races, I want to say, I don't know, a couple hours after they finished on Saturday night, somebody replied back or uh, posted, can't believe they don't have the USMTS. Big mistake. They need to bring those guys back. And I just replied and said, so we can watch Rodney Sanders win by three and a half seconds. Like I, Joe made a business decision to not bring the modified, not bring the USMTS back. It's not that great of a show and it's an expensive bill. He's got to pay a big sanctioning fee to get those guys there. And honestly, he's looking at it uh hindsight going that worked for me i got 47 modifieds on friday i got 41 modifieds on saturday i didn't have to pay a huge sanctioning fee to usmts and and it put on frankly the same show i thought the race on the modified race on saturday was a lot better friday was really rough um just tough to watch it there it was single file not a lot of passing 
not a lot of side-by-side racing. It was just kind of a, it was a very dull race, but that happens every once in a while. And I think Saturday they, they made up for it. Better heat races and uh, better B features and, and the A feature was better too. But uh, same result, Jordan Grabowski won both nights because Jordan Grabowski is one of the best modified drivers in the area. If we'd have had the USMTS here, I think Rodney Sanders would have won both nights because, oh yeah, he does that regularly when the USMTS comes to I-80 Speedway. Jordan Grabowski is one of the top modified drivers in the country, not just the area. He's a threat wherever he shows up. And uh, could he have handled Rodney Sanders? Who knows? You mm-hmm. know, but uh, Rodney Sanders could have brought a car that was legal and raced. Absolutely. I don't know if he'd have come up all this way up here for a non-sanctioned uh, $3,000 to win race, but, well, I guess actually the answer to that is he didn't. <laughs> well, but I know it, a few it, years ago, he was uh, out of a shop in Southern Minnesota. He was like three and a half hours away. Yeah. You know, and, and he was running the modified and the late model. You know, I don't know if things have changed in the last two years, but uh, uh, yeah, he could have brought a car and raced. Absolutely. And and it may, maybe Joe's looking at it another way too of, Bragg and Wright late models were on the bill for Tuesday and Wednesday. These are all local guys that are racing. He loves to give local drivers a big stage to perform on. And the stock cars turned a lot of heads on the national scale. Late model people were watching that race for the, for the late model a feature. And then they're watching it for the stock or watching the stock cars going, it's pretty damn good racing. Some of these big guys that never get any attention are getting national television, excuse me, worldwide television. Sorry, James. Uh, but <laughs> but Joe loves to give these guys a stage and maybe another one of his ideas to, to, to not having the US MTS there was modified guys, local modified guys. Here's our rules. These have been our rules all year. These have been our rules for years. Come race with us for 3000 to win and not just 3000 to win, but a healthy purse all the way through and, and get a national stage. And I would say that if that was, was his thought too, it worked. Well, I'm just glad the guys showed up because the last time he threw some money out there, there were no cars. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, Jordan talked about that. Did he talk about it on the, on the, I don't know if he talked about it on the interview or not, but him and I were sharing a beer and talking about it after the, I think it was on Friday night. And he said, you know, I, Joe and I had a heart to heart after the Charlie Clark Memorial and uh, Joe was really beaten up and really, really upset that that race didn't work out. And I, I was upset too. I mean, that, that was embarrassing to have, 19 cars i think we had for for one of the biggest local modified races i was thinking it was less than that i was going to say 16 but might have been it wasn't 20 let's put it that way it wasn't enough it wasn't enough for a full field and that and that's he kept saying to me as we were leading up to the silver dollar national he's like dan i don't like you saying six hundred and forty thousand dollars. i said why and he goes well that's if we have a full field every night and i don't know if we're gonna have a full field every night well i think they paid out more than six hundred and forty thousand dollars because there was 34, 31, uh, 40, 47, and 41 cars that showed up for the supporting classes in the five nights. And I'm willing to bet you did the math in your head and you can tell me what that total number of cars were. <laughs> no, I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to what you said, but oh. all I know is looking through results, I saw B features every night. Yeah, two B features. Oh, yeah. It, it was it was a great night. It, so, anyways, uh long conversation about this. Probably need to wrap it up, move on to the next things because we had a couple other ones, but uh just the Sunday after the silver dollar nationals is just an incredibly um, it's just, it's I'm, I'm, I get to finally sit back and think about some of the things that happened and all the great people and, and seeing some of the friends that I only get to see for that one time of the year that, you know, we sit down and have a, a beer together and just chat for a little while. And I literally, I don't know their name. 
I don't know where they're from, but I remember them and we have a nice conversation and it's always great. And it just the, it's so, this has just been such an awesome week and everything went well. The weather worked mostly in our favor. It was freaking miserable Saturday night. Um, and it was warm all week, but, but Friday and Saturday were definitely the, the, uh, the worst of the nights, but. And Sunday morning was nice. Not having to get up and go to the studio at seven o'clock. Right. <laughs> you know, I was still up until five o'clock in the morning though. <laughs> Yeah, but that was the Budweiser side of Dan. <laughs> well, no, it was it was the whiskey side. Okay. I got home. I, I I didn't have to worry about you know being hung over the next day for work or um, or or dehydrated. That was a big one. I was trying to stay away from alcohol as much as I could this week because of a stat I learned about being dehydrated. Um, and and so when I got home uh, Sunday morning slash Saturday, depending on how you qualify when the day changes. Um, I, I poured myself a glass of whiskey and I think I went through at least half that bottle. And by the time 5 a.m. rolled around, I was like, okay, now I got to go. I got to go to sleep because I'm going to finish this a half, bottle. A half pint bottle, right? No. <laughs> half a 750. All right. Let's talk about some other things real quick. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, I want to say this was Wednesday that this broke. Uh, a story about an announcer at a racetrack that uh, kind of went off on a little bit of a tirade. Have you watched this or heard this audio? Uh, no, I didn't hear that. Um, my brother mentioned it to me and I'd heard something similar for about the first half of the thing that was from a drag strip like two weeks ago. So I thought that's mm -hmm. what he was talking about until he got to the second half of the story. And then I'm saying, oh boy. Yeah. No. So here's the statement, and I want to be very clear. These are not my words and not my view. So just You're to get blamed for it if you say it. So right. The make. And this is, I know the announcer. I'm not going to run his name through the mud. It's already been done enough. Uh, he's a very, very patriotic guy, and I love him. I, I take a couple of tips from him because he's been at IED Speedway and done some announcing, and I've taken some of my cues from the way he did things. But he starts off and says, I got four words for you. Oh, hang on. Um, says I got a social service announcement before the national anthem. He condemned those who wouldn't stand for the flag or who would take a knee during the national anthem. And he says, I got four words for you. Find a different country. If you don't do it, he said, get the hell out of Dodge. Then he kind of crossed the line. And I'm not going to quote him so that way people can't grab the audio and, and say it was me that said it. But he basically said he's appalled that the NFL was considering a African-American national anthem. He used a different term. I'm going to use African-American national anthem. And he said, for those folks, you know, the darker skinned folks, I guess I'll just say it. And he flat out called them the word I don't want to use. But and now is pretty much his career is over with because <clears throat> he just went a little bit too far, in my opinion. But uh, just unnecessary i can't stand it when people got to bring politics to the racetrack and and you know he's got a big microphone he's he was he was a very well respected announcer because he was really really good uh but he just went a little bit too far and and now he's who knows what he's doing but the racetrack announced they uh they would not be letting him back they were unaware he was guest announcing that night it was broadcast over flow racing and they have condoned the uh comments and 
have backed away from it and just said, we had no idea it was happening. He was a guest announcer at the racetrack. We were just grabbing the audio for the play-by-play and um, he will no longer be allowed on our broadcasts. Then flow racing hasn't condoned it. They condemned it. Condoned means they were okay with it. Yes, you're right. That's a very, very critical correction. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. Like, and actually, you know, um, I don't think so much as when he started off with the whole statement, he brought politics into it right away. And in our sport, I don't have a huge problem with what he did until the second half, you know, when he turned it into a racist thing. And that's exactly what he did. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're not beating around the bush here. He got into a, a race deal, which basically it was his opinion. Yeah. You know, and everybody's going to cut ties with the guy because nobody wants to have um, anything to do with that right now. Even mm-hmm. if they think like him, they aren't even going to talk to him. Right. Absolutely. Eh, yeah. It's just, and it, again, I, I bring this up and I, I just, listen, this whole kneeling for the national anthem thing is a protest when you continue to talk about it and you continue to bring it into the limelight you are letting the protester win absolutely we've talked about it many times on this show people don't care about colin kaepernick but his name continues to be said because he was the poster child for the kneeling during the national anthem and bringing awareness to his cause and i'm all about that that's fine i got no problem with you bringing awareness to your cause let it go and it will die and we won't have to worry about it anymore. But we are, what, six years, seven years removed? And, and this keeps getting brought up and people keep talking about it. And the protest continues to win because it continues to be in the limelight. Just let it go. Stop talking no. about it. We, I don't did think national, we did a beautiful no. thing Saturday night with, with, uh, with the national anthem, with honoring the veterans. And I, I was starting to tear up as I looked around at the racetrack. Race officials were all standing kids that were playing on the playground were all standing workers at the at the in the concession stands were all stopped and standing everybody stands for the national that's fine let's let it go quit quit bringing it up and, and dirk you're absolutely right where he went off the rails was when he began to make it a racist deal and and then that's when everyone's like oh okay see ya we're done exactly yeah i mean <laughs> if they're gonna cut, cut ties with you know a kyle larson type person um anything like that i mean we had the local radio guy that got got severed yep um you know and everybody knows what i'm talking about so it's, mm-hmm. it's not a secret and mm-hmm. it's definitely not a secret uh yeah it's it's just someplace for the last couple of years you can't go yeah and, and you don't need to what is the exactly. old song it's the old randy travis song love religion and politics you don't talk about it just leave it alone you know, I don't know if it's been six or seven years with the Kaepernick deal. I was going to say four, but uh, regardless, yeah, you know, it's old news. People are still posting the same crap on oh. Facebook that they posted the week after it happened. I know. Well, I never saw it before. I said, did you ever look at Facebook in the last four years? Yeah, no kidding. You know, come on, this stuff's been over and over and over. It's wore out. You know, it's the same with the Second Amendment stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all right. I mean. Look at the date on it before you post it. If it says it's 2018, don't post it. Yep. All right. Let's get back to racing talk. <laughs> that was racing talk. It was. You're right. It was. Uh, Dirk, uh, big shocker of the last uh, six, eight days. Uh, Brad Kozlowski is headed to Roush Fenway Racing as a leadership partner. 
in a driver. Did you no. know that was happening? No. Was that guy you were talking with on Facebook? Was he serious or just or just having fun? Uh, he's not a, a super huge race fan. Okay. You okay. know, he. Oh, I take that back. I was thinking there's two different people I was going with, but I think you're talking about Jeff. And uh, yeah, no, Jeff is a super huge race fan. Yeah, okay. he was just flashing. Yeah. Okay, I was I reading that different. and I'm like, <laughs> I was gonna jump in, but I was like, nah, it's not my. Stop. No, I'm good. But anyways, yeah, Brad Keselowski, the announcement was finally made. So this was kind of a weird deal that when they announced the moves, actually, we should probably back up because we haven't even talked about um, about the moves at Penske to fill the roles that um, that were being left vacant to with Brad Keselowski. So the rumors have been out there for a long time. We've been talking about it before they announced Brad Keselowski was leaving. They announced Austin Sendrick would be driving the number two for Penske beginning in 2022. Yeah, the team on the backside always tried to jump in and take the limelight. Yeah. Every time, every one of these deals. The Roush jumped in when Carl Edwards had signed with Gibbs. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, you know, that's just their little way of throwing a little FU back in there. <laughs> it is, you know, nothing, you know, I, I what else are they going to do? Just sit back there like the, you know, the, the wounded stepchild and take their beating? No. Yeah. It just seems logically it would be Brad's leaving and then here's where we're filling in, but, you know, me and logic. <laughs> uh, so, the NASCAR. yeah austin sedger comes to is going to be driving the two in 2022 uh this is frustrating that there's still no contract for uh matt de benedetto and actually um wait who did they announce was going to go into the uh 21 harrison burton that's right that's right thank you i, was, I knew i was missing a a piece of the puzzle there see if they would have announced it in order i, I would have been fine and i'm sticking to that story so Harrison Burton's coming to the 21 at Wood Brothers and Matt DiBenedetto is without a ride. And this is, uh, is going to be a very difficult thing for him to find a quality ride. I think the most likely scenario is that Matt DiBenedetto is probably going to sign with the team down in the Xfinity series and, uh, and run down there for a, for a, a full season. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's got a shot at, uh, oh, I can't even think of the team that bought uh, Ganassi stuff. Uh, Trackhouse? track house there you go i mean he's yeah. got a shot at that seat that's a good point. I, I mean right now it's it's him and ross Chastain that are that i think are the two forerunners there mm -hmm. um if either one of them gets into the playoffs that would be a big boost on their side um that was the part i missed about the whole whole puzzle i told you that they were going to move cedric over to the two car right i you know i it just didn't make any sense not to because he's a penske guy they weren't going to put him on the satellite team mm -hmm. The fact that they brought another rookie in on the satellite team. So, I mean, it says Wood Brothers, but it's all a Penske outfit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's, it, well, and, and again, you and I are going to continue to disagree with this. They, they get technical support and they get a lot of information from, from Penske, which is kind of a norm in, in NASCAR today with these satellite, uh, what you, you call satellite teams or technical cooperations. But it's still the Wood Brothers organization. They they still have to to do their own thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> and there's I I'm pretty sure there's actually um, some monetary support where normally in these satellite operations, yeah. the monetary support would be going 21 to Penske. I don't think that's the case here. I really don't. I just see two teams 
in that organization that are going to have rookie drivers. And I personally see that as a mistake. Of course, I've never owned a NASCAR team. You know, yep. he's first to admit it. You guys might be confused, but uh, <laughs> I never have. But uh, I just, I didn't see that Harrison Burton coming. Um, I don't know if he's ready. I've seen plenty of drivers in my lifetime get moved up. Uh, the most notable one that I said was not ready to go up is a friend of ours, Brendan Gone. Mm -hmm. He went from the truck series to the cup series and didn't last the full season. Yeah. There's a progression that has to happen. I mean, and you say that and there's always exceptions to the rules. There's going to be a yeah, driver that can make that jump just fine. But a majority of it is you need to have seat time in the Xfinity series for what season, at least 20 races, 35 races, somewhere around in there to, to kind of get a handle on it and then jump into the cup series. Well, but I don't know. Brendan gone was a multi, uh winston west champion so he'd been in cars yeah but he hadn't been on the national scale um i just didn't think he was ready yeah and uh I, you know i happen to be right there's other guys i've said that about um and there's other guys i've said that they're definitely ready such as christopher bell you know i thought cole custer was ready and he'd come out and won in his rookie year you yeah. know so um some of them you know i'm right and some i'm wrong i just i did not see harrison burton he wasn't even on my radar to say. <laughs> I know when they announced that, I was like, part of that's the name and probably sponsorship be, dollars coming with it. Well, that's, that's what I was going to get to. I wouldn't okay, be surprised sorry. that there's, you know, uh, a handful of sponsors that are backing him and following him and that are elbow deep in this situation. Absolutely. So Austin Cedric to the two Harrison Burton to the 21, no word on what Matt DiBenedetto is going to do. But Brad Keselowski, they finally announced. Okay, so again, the timeline was kind of odd for me. They hadn't, Brad hadn't acknowledged or announced that he was going to Ross Fenway yet when Roger Penske had a press conference at, I want to say it was New Hampshire, and they were discussing the announcement that Austin Sendrick was heading to the two. And Roger just basically said that Brad had been asking for ownership role in the team for the last couple of years, and that just wasn't an opportunity. And so they came to an amicable agreement that Brad would, uh, would, would move on. And uh, you and I talked about that a little bit. I, I couldn't ever imagine Roger Penske would give up 10%, uh, 20%, 30% control of the NASCAR operation. Um, Cause he's running a successful operation. He basically, I don't think he needs Brad as a, as a owner. I, I think Roush Fenway definitely needs Brad as an owner. And that's a great move on their part. Well, um, it's, it's following in the footsteps of Gordon Run and Hendrick. Yeah. You're going to see Brad drive, I'm going to say, another three to five years. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then he'll be the face of Roush because Jack is – Jack's old. I mean, oh. he's been for a long time. And I got to tell you, I don't mean this in any disrespect, but he's not only old, but he, he looks rough. <clears throat> oh, he, he darn near died in the lake when he crashed an experimental airplane because he's a licensed pilot. Oh, yeah. There was, there was a Marine and fishing in this pond that went over and pulled him out of an upside down plane in a lake. Jesus. Guys on borrowed time. And, yeah. it, you know, it's not good, bad or otherwise. You know, I'm glad he's around, you know. And uh, but, yeah, it's he's he knows he's to the point where he's going to have to step back. Mm -hmm. The Keselowski family has been owning race cars since I, I'm going to say the late eighties, you know, through Brad's dad. And then he, mm -hmm. you know, he had Arca cars and stuff. He raced out at IED Speedway. I think it was 92 when Arca had a race out here. 
and Brad's uh, dad did. Yes. And, uh, I know Bob from, you know, my years in the truck series, I always had a truck team when I was doing that. So that's how mm -hmm. I got to know Brad real well. Right. I, I met Brad <laughs> wheeling tires around the garage. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, so Brad headed to the, uh, to the, to the six <clears throat> at Roush Fenway. That leaves Ryan Newman without a ride for next season. But apparently Ryan Newman was offered a uh, partial schedule at Roush for 2022. And I didn't read anywhere if he took it or if he's declined it or not. Well, and that's because he's got partial, he's got partial sponsorship. Yeah. If he can round up a few more sponsors, he, he can very well end up with a whole seat. He can run a full one, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so that's the big news. Uh, the, the probably one of the bigger shakeups. I like this move on Brad's part. I think it's smart. I think it it gets him more involved in the sport. I think, like you just noted, he's got ownership uh, history, so it's not like he's coming into the ownership role green and it's going to be five, six, eight years before he starts to be able to figure things out and make his way through it. He he knows he's got a good or a better idea of, of what he needs to do to be successful. You were going to say good or I, I was not, I was not, I didn't say it. It never happened. I deny, but, deny, uh, deny. Well, Brad owned his own truck team too, for several years. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, yeah, he's got plenty of, of the business sense. He's got a couple other businesses that he's running right now um, that he started up. I, I know that for a fact. Um, He's got his foundation, which is doing some real nice work. The Checkered Flag Foundation, yeah, does a lot of stuff for first responders and vets. And uh, yeah, I, it's a very smart move on his part. Like I said, I don't see him driving any more than five years. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he stepped out after three. Yeah, it just all kind of depends on if he's competitive and successful. He'll stay in and keep racing. Uh, I look at you know I look at like Kevin Harvick right now. He was talking a few years ago about racing for another five or six years, but I I think there's some time that's been taken off of that projection with the way this season went. Now, if he turns around and, and ends up having a great rest of the season, qualifies for the playoffs, which is just crazy to think there's a chance he wouldn't qualify, um, goes deep into the playoffs, and then has a better year next year that, that they would add more years back onto it. But when they you start to see this decline, we saw it with Tony Stewart. We've seen it with hundreds of drivers. They go from being incredibly successful to there's a decline over two years, and then they retire. Yeah. Some drivers don't know when to retire. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. You know, um, obviously, Kevin Harvick doesn't need the money. Yeah. You know, he raced a long time under the old contracts to where they were making uh, mm -hmm. buku bucks. You know, they're not making that right now. Just, you know, that's just ebb and flow of the sport. But, uh, um, I just think this whole deal with Brad is a good thing. Roush Fenway needs something. They have just been floundering for, I want to call it 10 years. I mean, even though I think the big red flag was, was when, well, the red flag was when Matt left. And then the big red flag was when Carl left and the decline was already there. The talent of Matt and Carl made up for the decline. And then after those two left, it was, it was just, it was a sinking yeah, ship. There's a free fall. Yeah. And hopefully this can all start to get turned around. All right. Next gen chassis are going to be headed to teams. Uh, we're talking on Sunday. So they're already at the team shops. They, this was on uh, Monday that this article uh, came out. NASCAR officials said that they were satisfied with a meeting about the next gen cars crash test findings and that the chassis distribution will begin later this week. NASCAR competition officials met with 
independent panel of experts in the biomechanics and safety field last week. The panel has been established for a full review of data findings from last month's crash test of the new model set to debut in the Cup Series in 2022. So chassis are headed out to the race, tra- uh, race teams now. Yeah, well, they, I, I really don't know what they get to do to them other than just start, you know, uh, I don't know if they get them with bodies on them or if they've actually got to put the bodies on them. I, I don't know exactly, you know, the assembly process of what NASCAR is actually doing. My understanding is NASCAR is putting the chassis together to where they're just a roller, sending them to the teams. And then I believe NASCAR is also providing the panels so that the, it's going to be a put together kit. And then the teams will be able to adjust the kit once they get it on in-house. But, um, well, and I say adjust, they, they can't modify the panels at all, like the door panels, the, the, the quarter, the fender, any of that stuff. They can't modify them, but they can make adjustments to the setup so that the cars are still changeable a little bit and tweakable. But NASCAR is trying to cut costs and bring the competition a little bit closer with sending them the chassis and sending them the parts and pieces for the, for the assembly. Who are they cutting the cost for? Nobody. They're making the money by building the cars. <laughs> I ain't buying that cutting cost deal. Well, R- and, I guess R&D maybe. That's a big part. I mean, when when you don't have to spend money on R&D uh, for the teams, you get to spend it somewhere else. But They're going to have to spend money on R&D because it's a brand new car. Yeah, we'll have to get, when we're down in Kansas, maybe we can sit down and talk with a NASCAR official, try to get more clarification on what teams are going to be able to do with these uh, do with these cars and, and talk to the teams about what, what is arriving at the shop. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm kind of removed from it. So I don't know exactly what, like you said, I'm just trying to remember stories. I've, I've articles I've read in the past of, of what, what the plan is for the next gen car. Yeah. I know what the plan is, but what actually happens ends up being something <laughs> not necessarily 180 degrees off, but there is yeah. quite a bit of difference. So, and well, uh, one last thing for the week. Were the uh, penalties handed out to Hendrick? I was just going to get to that. Um, this is kind of a crazy one, too. Not something you would expect the uh, a team like Hendrick Motorsports to make this penalty. Much like, wasn't it Truex that they put the wrong tires on the wrong side of the car a couple of years ago? Yeah, but that happens every so often. There was, yeah. there was one of those earlier this year with somebody. I don't remember who. It so, might have even been an Xfinity race. NASCAR so. officials slapped Chase Elliott in the nine car and Alex Bowman in the 48 car with an L one penalty, which was 25 championship driver points. Uh, let's see. Hang on. And $50,000 yep. fines to the crew chiefs. Yeah. I wanted to verify it was driver and owner and not just owner standings. So it's driver and owner plus a $50,000 fine. Basically here's what happened. The nine teams engine accidentally ended up in the 48 car at New Hampshire. And NASCAR caught it and hit him with the penalty. And Hendrick Motorsports came out and said, well, due to an administrative error, one of our sealed engines was that is assigned to the nine car was unintentionally allocated to the 48 team at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Although the engine passed technical inspection, excuse me, although the engine passed technical inspection and absolutely no competitive advantage was gained, we acknowledge NASCAR's process was not followed correctly in this instance. The rules regarding the assignment of sealed engines are clear, and we understand and respect their decision to issue a penalty. We apologize for the mistake and have taken steps to ensure this will not be repeated. Yeah, that means they fired the guy that made yeah. the mistake. Whoever did it, whoever whoever put 
put that in. I mean, and I mean, this is, these are the little things you got to be very careful about when, when at the shop. Local guys know this too. You put the wrong bolt on, all of a sudden you're illegal in tech. You know, you got to be very careful about this stuff. There's a, a very uh, well-respected announcer in this area that still carries titanium bolts in his pocket to remind him of the mistake they made that cost them uh, a good start at the Race Saver Nationals. Uh, it, it happens. And it, it's tough when it does. And <laughs> like you said, I'm pretty sure some guys without a job right now. Yeah. Hey, there's a job opening at Hendrick Motorsports if anybody's interested. <laughs> Just be very, very careful what engine you're putting in the car. Be very careful about that. All right. You know, uh, and I, I do know Hendrick's shops are set up. They've got two cars in two different shops. So obviously the nine and the 48 are in one shop, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise you know, the mistake would not, you weren't going to find that nine engine in the 24 yeah. or the five, you know? So, uh, yeah, but it's, it's an honest mistake. NASCAR did their job. NASCAR did their diligence. Um, the engine was sealed. So it had already been inspected. So it was a legal engine. It was yeah. just the wrong car. It was in the wrong car. All right. Um, anything we missed? Anything we got to cover? Uh, I don't know. The gizzards were good Thursday. Yeah, they are good. They gave me a little bit of heartburn, but I love those gizzards. I didn't put any sauce on them or nothing, but no. uh, it was kind of funny. I was Wednesday night, I was laying there watching something on TV and I wanted popcorn. So I got popcorn at the races too. <laughs> a boy. All right. I a picture of it on Facebook. Hey, I finally got my popcorn, everybody. <laughs> Big thanks to uh, everybody that uh, helped to contribute to the front stretches, uh, Silver Dollar Nationals and IED Nationals coverage this week. If you want to hear Joe Kaziski's statement in the, our interview about the status of i80 speedway uh is it sold is it not sold is it going to be a dairy queen one of these days just find the video on the front stretch facebook page and you can watch the whole thing and that is from the horse's mouth it's not from your dad's third second cousin twice removes dog that's 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 got a yellow color collar it it's from joe i've heard that so many times this week oh no 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 my friend his cousin cuts joe's hair and Joe said the tracks was track was sold in that Saturday night's last race. I know this. I it's I know it. Like okay, well I know Joe. I don't have a second cousin twice removed that cuts his hair. It's Joe said it's not sold. Anyways, uh, no racing this weekend. NASCAR's off, right? Yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, two weeks. Next up, um, uh, go bowling at the Glen, August eighth. But uh, yeah, there was actually people on Facebook that said, you know, NASCAR doesn't have a race this weekend and all these road courses, I might just quit being a fan. And I said, well, they could have had a race, but you wouldn't have got to see it. Right. <laughs> you know, I said, this wasn't NASCAR's deal. I told like three different people that yeah. this was the TV networks, which is where NASCAR gets all their money. Mm -hmm. It sure as hell ain't from ticket Olympics. sales these days. You know, we're going to cover the Olympics. Please take a week off. Mm -hmm. NASCAR did just a business move. That's all it is. And this might lead to more because, you know, there's drivers that always talk about how grueling the Cup Series schedule is because it's on a normal schedule. There's like one or two off weekends. Yeah, I, I was going to say three. Yeah. But, but I think this year they get four. And, uh, oh, there's been all kinds of pictures of people, you know, down in the uh, Bahamas and Caribbean, and Dominican Republic. They're all vacationing somewhere. And that's great. I'm going to the Midwest version of the Bahamas on Tuesday. I'm excited. Oh, you're going to Adventureland? Ozarks. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Uh, yeah, no racing for NASCAR. We're going to be back August 8th. Um, Friday at I-80 Speedway is the 
sssroofing.com kids money grab. Luke's got a ton of tickets. Just reach out to him on the Facebook page. He'll get with you on getting some tickets over to you. If you want to get into the races for free. Um, and I don't know what's going on Saturday at, at, at Eagle. Um, but, uh, get out to the racetrack, enjoy some great racing. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us today, Dirk, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got, uh, I think we pretty much run the gamut and then some. Yep. I think so. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Make sure to like and share the Fred stretch podcast so we can continue to educate everybody on what the hell is exactly going on around this world. You'll get some good advice too, and you'll be better of it too. Right. <laughs> yeah. You'll learn which whiskeys to drink and there which you ones go. To from. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Big thanks to Rick Haven Ridge Wealth Partners for supporting the Pickums Contest. Big thanks to Taylor Computers and Repair for supporting the show. And, of course, Joe's Karting and our good friends over at Quaker Steak and Lube. Get over and enjoy some Thursday night classic car cruising at Quaker Steak and Lube, the official watering hole of the front stretch. And you might even have a strange man give you a beer. Maybe. That might happen (laughs) for you. For Dirk Houston, I'm Dan Taylor. This has been the front stretch, once again, presented by Joe's Karting. Have a great week, everybody. The official watering hole of the front stretch has you covered any day of the week with the best wings, great burgers, and amazing steaks. Each weekday from 4 to 6 is happy hour, featuring dollar off draft and well drinks plus $4 luberitas. Mondays are kids night. Tuesdays are all you can eat wings for $12.95. And the lube even delivers to the Council Bluffs area. Like Quaker Steak and Lube Council Bluffs on Facebook for a full list of weekly events. Get to Quaker Steak and Lube. Mid-America Drive, Council Bluffs. Hey, look at that. You're sitting on your couch playing Halo, Madden, or NASCAR while your friends are at Joe's Karting. Each lap is an adrenaline-filled, heart-pumping, white-knuckle experience that you can only get at the Metro's largest indoor karting track. Eco-friendly Honda engines rip you around their professionally designed road course at breakneck speeds. Can you reach the 14-second lap bracket? There's only one way to find out. Put the controller down and get to Joe's Karting. 23rd Avenue in Council Bluffs next to Quaker Steak and Lube.